You're listening to Casey Forum with Kathy Quinn. Public affairs with an entertaining spin. All right, so you are listening right now to my podcast. This is podcast number 10. I'm so excited. 2021 is here, and I have Jamie Boyle on the line. We're going to get this year started off right, aren't we, Jamie? We are. My gosh. Well, with the welcome, and Welcome House is celebrating big, big celebration. Let's talk about how many years now in Kansas City. Yeah, you know, and first of all, thanks for having me, Kathy. I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, Welcome House was founded in 1971, so 50 years ago. Um, it's, for those who don't know Welcome House, we're a sober living recovery program for adult men in Kansas City. We're a 501c3 nonprofit, um, and we're a residential program. So the program's designed around a nine-month stay. Um, and what's neat about it is, is that it requires men that are recovering stay engaged in the community and in life while they're also learning how to get sober and stay sober and it's just a neat neat program and we've been honored to be able to serve the kansas city community for the last 50 years it's it's fabulous the work that you've done you know because as we've talked about it before when we had you on the air last week it's a ripple effect it's not just that life you're changing that man's life you're changing you're changing his wife his children his family his friends the community so it 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 does reach out it's got lots of arms out there it does you know we like to say parents get their sons back wives get their husbands back kids get their fathers back and Mm. you know i shared with you um and I'm very open about it. I, I went through the Welcome House program years ago, and um, that's really what I have been able to realize in my own life and what my loved ones and my family have been able to realize. Um, you know, I had a long struggle with uh, substance use disorder and, you know, ultimately crashed and burned, as is sort of the stereotypical story that we hear a lot in in the work that we do at Welcome House. And, um I tried a lot of stuff, and I went to rehab, and that did traditional rehab, and that didn't work. And, you know, it wasn't until I walked through the Welcome House door for the first time that things in my life changed. And now years later, you know, I'm remarried, and I'm uh, a good father and husband and um, a good son, and my life is very, very full, and it's filled Mm. with friends and family and loved ones and, and work that I'm passionate about. And very different from, you know, the day that I walked through the Welcome House door for the first time. But it was Welcome House that provided me that opportunity. And it was Welcome House that taught me, at least in part, you know, how to make that happen. But Jamie, how? Because there are a lot of programs out there. What makes this one unique or different? Yeah, you know, there's there's a couple of things. First and foremost, you know, um, we were originated out of this idea or commitment to service. So, you know, there, it was a men's AA group that uh, met here in Kansas City that, you know, these guys would go out and try to do 12-step work. And if you're not familiar with the 12 steps, mm-hmm. the 12th step is working with other alcoholics in crisis. And they, you know, they would go out and work with men who'd been thrown out of their homes or were homeless, um, you know, hopeless, if you will, back in, in, in those days alcoholics or addicts, sort of the forgotten, and they were desperate to try to find a safe and sober environment uh, to work with these men. And so, you know, at first they passed the hat in their AA meetings to rent hotel rooms, and ultimately 
over the years and as demand grew, you know, they bought a house and then an apartment building, and we moved into the facility that we're in now mm-hmm. um, in the mid-'80s. But, you know, what's really unique, so it starts, so the program's culture and its foundation is based in the 12 steps and in service to others. And, and I think that that's a really important component. It's part of what makes us unique and special and successful. Oh. The other part of it is all of the professional staff that I have at Welcome House, all of us are living in long-term recovery. We're licensed, certified, as would be appropriate for our roles mm-hmm. in this industry. Um, but we've all experienced alcoholism and addiction firsthand. Um, that battle and the process to find sobriety and to find long-term recovery. And, and so that's the second thing, mm-hmm. you know, it's the experience. It's the people who are actually working with individuals that come to welcome house. It's not just things that we've learned in class or school or read in a textbook. We've lived that life mm-hmm. and walked those paths. And I think the third thing is, you know, I mentioned, earlier that we require guys to stay engaged in life. So the fact that we're a nine-month residential program and that we require guys to find and maintain employment and stay involved in the world um, while they're also participating in our program, that's also significant because guys come to the Welcome House and they've got this giant pile of wreckage and stuff that they're trying to figure out um, that has been a result of their disease, Uh you know. Uh And on top of that, they can't stay sober for five seconds, you know, in a day. And so what we ask guys to do is allow us to support them, you know, to be teachable and also engage in the world while that is going on so that they learn how to live life on life's terms. You know, people have loved ones that pass away while they're at Welcome House. People lose jobs while they're at Welcome House. They have to deal with the legal system while they're at Welcome House. So we're able to help them navigate those things while also teaching them how to do that sober. Ah, and and you just said something. Let's go back a bit. It's a disease. Explain that. Explain, because I don't think people realize that. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, just historically and stereotypically, you know, a lot of times people will think about an alcoholic as the man that's under the bridge or sort of the happy-go-lucky Otis from the Andy Griffith show, you know, that (laughs) would stumble into the jailhouse and let himself into a cell and sleep it off kind of thing, Uh you know. Um, And what we know from um, from science and from the medical profession, and it's been known for quite a long time, that addiction and alcoholism, substance use disorder, is a disease, you know, and it's a process and it's a progression. I'll use myself as an example. You know, my first introduction to alcohol was in junior high. Um, it took, you know, 26 or 7 years of active alcohol use and drug use for me to you know, for my disease to progress fully um, to the end stages where, you know, it was really a life or death battle for me, you know, and mm. that's years worth of the brain basically being rewired by the use of those substances and those chem- chemicals. And 
And I look back on my life and my experience, and I, I can see very clearly now that, you know, my body handles chemicals and substances different than other people, you know. And, and I know also now that addiction and alcoholism are throughout both sides of my family tree. So I have this genetic predisposition, and I have the disease of substance use disorder. And so it doesn't really matter what that substance is. My body handles it differently. And so what may have started out as a choice to begin with Mm -hmm. or some rite of passage activity like sneaking wine coolers as a junior high student on the ball field ultimately progresses to an obsession, to um, an inability to stop that use on one's own, you know, and that, and that's sort of the progression of the disease. And, you know, I'm not a scientist and I'm not a clinician. I'm not a a medical doctor. um, And I can really only speak to my experience. Um, However, Mm -hmm. it is recognized as a disease. And, you know, so the farther away from, you know, the, the mental pictures or idea of an alcoholic, um, such as Otis from the Andy Griffith show, right. this happy-go-lucky guy that just lacked willpower. The farther away we can get from that idea, um, the closer we get to what is the reality for the men that we work with on a day-to-day basis. And you see him every day for years every now. Every single day. And yeah. so, uh, so you successfully went through the program, and now you can look back and say, oh, my gosh, that— that wasn't me. That was me, but it wasn't me. This is the real me. That's got to feel like such an accomplishment. Well, I mean, I, yes and no. Um, you know, and I think this is also where, you know, remembering that this is a disease um, is really important. Um, you know, I am very pleased with my life today my life in long-term recovery. Um, it's a day-to-day struggle mm-hmm. that never goes away. You know, it's something that I've got to continually work on. There's a part of me that wishes that I never had to deal with the problem, you know, um, but that's not my reality, you know. And But along with and associated with that feeling of accomplishment or the satisfaction with life today in long-term sobriety, what I also know is that I didn't do this. Mm. You know, um, you know, there were people at the Welcome House when I was there. When I came in with nothing, you know, hopelessly alcoholic, um, and and really just said, "Please, you know, help me. I I've got nowhere else to go. Mm. Please help me." You know, there were people there that answered that call. Um, you know, I'm I'm an active 12-step member and uh, have a sponsor, a long-term sponsor. You know, there are people in our community that have said to themselves, we're going to help Jamie. You know, we understand where Jamie's at. We understand the disease. We're, we understand the struggle. And so part of what we're going to do is help Jamie. And, you know, so I'm very satisfied there is at least a certain level of accomplishment that I feel, but mostly I feel gratitude uh, to Welcome House, to the community at large, certainly the 
the recovery community of Kansas City because, Kathy, there's no way that I'm sitting here talking to you today without them. Mm. You know, I mean, there's just, that just doesn't happen, you know. And so um, it, I think the right word is gratitude. Jamie, what got you to go? Let's say there's somebody listening right now and they say, I have somebody that needs to call them. I have somebody that needs to go. I have a relative. Do you say, okay, it's time to go? I mean, how did you get yeah. there? Well, you know, and it, it's really interesting. And we talked about this before. You know, I have a, I have a disease that continually tries to tell me that I don't have a disease and that, and that I got this and that, it, and that everything's in, under control, you know? Um, and you know, that's, it, it's a different process really, uh, for everybody. You hear people talk about how, you know, people's bottoms are different. Um, what I experienced in my life is that bottoms get lower and, um, you know, the more I held on to and tried to, um, you know, fight this on my own, not concede defeat, you know, not say to the world to recognize for myself, hey, man, I, I cannot do this on my own. You know, I'm going to die without this, uh, without somebody helping me or if I continue to try to do this on my own, um, you know. For me, um, I it was a very low bottom, and I had to have, you know, just pain and trauma and, you know, bad experience after bad experience um, before I finally reached a, that place where, where I could admit and acknowledge the disease that I had, accept that I was not going to be able to beat this on my own mm-hmm. and become willing and teachable and, and ask for help. And it was really a fluke that I heard about Welcome House. Um, and, but, I, but I went, you know, I went and I interviewed and I talked to the people there and, and I made the decision to stay. Um, and, and, you know, it wasn't like I had a whole bunch of other options because I really didn't. But even so, that decision to stay changed everything. Wow. For me, you know, and so... What I would say to people is, um, you know, I wish that I could have gotten off the, the elevator earlier, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to ride it all the way down to the third level of the basement yeah. <laughs> before I finally said, hey, wait a second, something in my life has got to change and, or I'm going to be dead, you know, or locked up for a long time. And, and uh, you know, what I would say to people is, um, or to loved ones, you know, um, that it's a personal, that's a personal issue and you can help, um, you can encourage, you can, um, direct, um, you know, or at least, you know, show somebody, Hey, give a suggestion for example, but it's a really, it's really an individual thing. You know, I, I know other people in recovery that their experience was they, you know, they had some things happen in their lives and boy, they, they handled it a lot better than I did. And mm. they, you know, you know, sought help and they got into long-term recovery and they didn't have to have, you know, sort of the destruction and devastation that some of us have to do or have to have happen in our lives. Um, I, I grew up in a family of professionals, really a healthcare family. And so I had opportunities for interventions and, you know, a loving, caring family that was, you know, trying their best um, to do everything that they could mm. to help me 
recognize the problem and address it. Um, but, you know, as an adult, they're limited yeah. in, in what they can do, you know. And so I, we are certainly always available and open to talking to individuals that may, might be interested in our program. I also spend a lot of time, and I know my staff does, talking with loved ones of individuals um, who are in crisis, you know, and talking to them about, you know, how they can help and, and some things that they might be able to do to encourage uh, treatment. That is, that's fabulous. How can people help them? And what, what I love on your website, let me just say this, recovery is a journey, not a destination. It's not. That's right. Yeah, yeah. that I love that. I think that it, life is a journey. So, well, um, yeah, that's right. And it goes back to the disease concept, you know, um, and what we also learn in the 12 step programs. I mean, I'm never cured of the disease of alcoholism and addiction. You know, this is, I am literally one drink away from a drunk at any given point in time. And what I know from my disease and my experience is that it's not, you know, it's not the 12th, the 13th, or the 15th drink. It's the first one, mm. you know, because as soon as I have that first drink, all bets are off. You know, I mean, in other words, I might be well-intended and say, hey, look, I'm going to have just two drinks today. But as soon as I have that first one, whether I have two or I have 20, is now outside my control. Uh. Yeah. You know, I, that's when the disease takes over. And so when you think about it in those terms, you know, I'm years sober at this point, but that never changes. And so it's, it's, it's really the journey for the rest of my life. It's been the journey I've been on since junior high, whether I recognized it or not, God. you know, and that's, so it is a journey and recovery is a journey and uh, life is a journey and, you know, but there. <laughs> But there is a way, Kathy, that you can be on that journey and be sober. That's awesome. Congratulations. And congratulations on the 50th anniversary. Um, was, where's a phone number if people want to call and have you know questions for you? Well, actually, I would suggest, as a first step, I would suggest that they go to our website. So that's the best way to communicate with us. Um, WelcomeHealthKC.org. Okay. Uh, there's information about getting involved and ways to sign up on our website. Um, there are, uh, you know, obviously there's program details and requirements and, and information like that. So that's, that is absolutely the first place that I would, I would go to welcomehousekc.org. All right, Jamie. Thank you so much, Jamie Boyle. And we will be in touch soon. And I know uh, our very own Fox Force John Holt helps you every year with your fundraiser. Yes, He's a he does. great guy. Love John. Yeah. yeah. He's a good guy. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, darling. All right. We got more on the way. Stay with us. Hang on. There's more on the way with Kathy Quinn and Casey Forum. The reason I wanted to talk to the folks at Great Plains SPCA is because, obviously, and I've got Miss Keegan on the line. Uh, Keegan, you know how much I love dogs and cats, and I just love animals, and I know you do too, obviously. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And this time of year, I just cannot believe that so many of these wonderful pets are left outside in the cold, 
no water, no food. I don't get it. Yeah, we are seeing a lot of dogs. There are unfortunately hundreds of dogs chained outside in the KC metro area that our HERO outreach team is continuing to visit to make sure that they have access to water, shelter, and anything else they need to stay um, healthy and safe this winter. I know I was talking to Tam, and she was saying that uh, over the last couple of weeks, there could have been maybe a couple hundred that you helped families. Do, do they not realize it? I mean, I'm just asking, what, what happens when you tell them, hey, look, your dog doesn't have water, they need a dog house, you need to do so? Are they surprised? Yeah, we, we work um, pretty diligently to build relationships with owners. A lot of times it's just a case of they don't have the resources or money to be able to provide the things that their pets need to stay safe. Um, other times they just, they just don't know. They might be used to treating pets as outdoor animals when we know that it's not always safe to keep them outside. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're really focused on educating, providing resources, and following up to make sure that once we check in um, the first time, uh, the owners are doing their due diligence to take care of the pets. Um, and if it's a case where a pet is just really not in a good situation, we will work to bring them to our shelter with the owner's permission. And then what happens? Do, are, do they surrender them or do they get them back? Or how, well, how does that work? Typically, um, if it's an animal we're very concerned about, um, we'll work with the owner to have them surrender the pet over to us. We don't seize animals unless Um, it's a situation where animal control is involved and the pet is in imminent danger. Typically we just see pets, um, who need some extra supplies and things and aren't in extremely dangerous situations, which is good. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we want to bring the pets, um, to safety when we can, but a lot of times the owners do love and care about their pets. They just don't have the resources or knowledge to take care of them properly. And so do you have the resources where you can help them? Do people donate, you know? Okay, talk about that. We do. Yeah, so our HERO team goes out into the community um, each week. We provide supplies completely free of charge to pets in need. Um, We're doing a ton of dog houses right now. Um, That's kind of the biggest need that we're seeing, and really durable, insulated shelters um, are expensive. They're typically $100 um, for one dog house. Um, So we're delivering dog houses. We're stuffing existing houses with straw to keep pets warm. We're providing fresh water. We're actually seeing a lot of frozen water with how cold it's been. Um, so delivering fresh water has been super important. Um, and food as well, because animals do burn more calories um, when they're trying to keep warm outside. All right. So basically, hmm, I know that I've had dogs in the past that have been like an Alaskan Malamute who absolutely adored being outside and couldn't stand being inside. I know that. But they still have to have shelter. They still have to have maybe some straw that type of thing. But basically, is it is it basically if it's too cold for us outside, I mean, frigid, it's it's cold for them. That's exactly right. If it's too cold for us, it's too cold for our pets. Um, we like to say that pets must have access to fresh water, food and insulated shelter um, to be considered safe outside. But the best prevention to avoid pets dying in the cold is to just bring them in the house. And we can also provide resources for owners if they are unsure about how to bring their pets in. We have crates. Um, we have other supplies that can kind of help ease that transition when it is so cold. And we're encouraging people to bring them in the house. And you touched on this already. Okay, so we know they need fresh water. Check on the water because obviously it can freeze. Um, how about the food? Um 
they burn more calories during this weather, so they need extra food. How do we gauge that? They do, yeah. So it's it's typically, you know, making sure that pets have um, their morning and evening meals and maybe just filling the scoop up a little bit more during the wintertime. Mm-hmm. Um, we do offer a pet food pantry in addition to our hero team that goes out in the community and delivers the pet food. Um, you can also come to our shelter once a month um, for our pet food pantry to pick up food. We do a lot of food for community cats as well as dogs Mm -hmm. um, to make sure that they are well fed and taken care of throughout the winter. How do I know, Ms. Keegan, how do I know if they're suffering from the cold? If they're suffering, what are the signs of hypothermia? How do I know that? Yeah, the signs of hypothermia um, include lethargy. So if the pet is just really tired and kind of down in the dumps, um, if they're extra drowsy, if their skin feels cold and clammy, and if their temperatures decrease. So those are the the main signs to look for. Um, typically, if the pet does have access to shelter, they they will be okay um, outside. But again, the the best way to guarantee that your pets are safe is to bring them indoors when it's this cold outside. We are talking to Miss Keegan from Great Plains SPCA, Heroes for Pets, Partners for Life, and that is so so true they are they are so sweet so partners not just the dogs the cats i mean any little pet that you have in your house they just lower your blood pressure and speaking of cats what is the cold with them i mean do you i know you put sweaters on dogs you can you know there's some dogs that don't have the thickest coat like my little part chihuahua part yorkie i put a little sweater on her um how about cats yeah cats are the same they need access to shelter as well um We typically will deliver styrofoam shelters and stuff those with straw for cats as well. Um, There are cats that thrive um, in an outside living environment. Um, But if it's a a pet, more of a pet than a community cat, we also recommend bringing them indoors. But if you need supplies for cats, we can help with that as well. Now, how do people get a hold of you all? Our Hero Team's contact information is on our website, which is greatplainsspca.org. Okay, very, very good. And, um, of course, you know, I just love going and seeing all the animals and all the pets and everything. How has the pandemic affected Great Plains? I know a lot more people were trying to adopt because more people were home. And what's the trend right now? Yeah, that's a great question. So overall in 2020, we did see a decrease in adoptions actually um, from the year prior. And that's mostly because we've had to limit the number of appointments um, that we have because of social distancing practices. Um, But we saw really great support in terms of adoptions. Donations um, were down throughout the year, but we we gained a ton of support in December through our match campaign, which was really amazing to see in what had been um, just kind of a hard year for everyone. Are we expecting more cold weather here? I'm asking you, and I work at a news station. I should know. <laughs> but I know you all keep an eye on it. We do keep an eye on it. Um, yeah, it's, it's supposed to be just in the 30s again. This week, um, we were out in the community yesterday in the rain, making sure that pets were taken care of um, as they go through the cold this weekend. And we'll be out again next week checking on um, the pets and making sure that they're well taken care of and can survive the cold that we have coming up. Oh, oh my gosh. So let's say that I see some person in the neighborhood and I'm concerned about their pet. They don't look like they have food. It looks like they've been there for a while. Who is the person I contact? Our hero team can be contacted um, if it's a non-emergency situation. Mm -hmm. Um, 
if it is an emergency where the pet seems to be in imminent danger, calling your police dispatch or animal services department is the best way to get um, a a quick and immediate response. Um, But if it's just a case of the pet needing supplies um, and it doesn't seem like an emergency, our hero team can be contacted too. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the Great Plains SPCA. What can you all use this time of year? I know with the pandemic, you don't have a lot more you know, need for volunteers too much, but what is it that you guys can use right now that the public can help with? Donations are hugely appreciated. Right now we're really focusing on, on purchasing supplies for our hero teams, so things like dog houses and straw. Um, we typically don't accept donations of, um, but we do use funds to purchase those. So that's hugely helpful. Um, donating pet food supports our hero program as well. So we can make sure that pets are well fed in the community. Um, and you can also take a look at our wish list, um, which is on our website to support the pets that we have in shelter. We can always use more dog and cat toys um, and other items to support the pets who are in our shelter. Keegan, what makes uh, Great Plains different than any other shelters in the metro? I think we're unique in terms of what our hero outreach team is doing in the community. Um, We really focus on outreach programs, educating the community and making sure that people and pets are well taken care of. Mm -hmm. Um, We focus on keeping pets in their homes when they can and making um, really good matches in terms of adoptions when we do. So we're really unique in terms of the outreach programs that we provide. um, And our behavior team is fantastic as well. We just do a lot in the community that people may not think of when they just think of, oh, that's a great place to go adopt. But we're making a difference for pets in the community as well. I know you made one little uh, tiny chihuahua very happy several months ago when I was in there. You remember the little brown one? Oh, my God. She was so beautiful. So cute. <laughs> and her, uh, I wanted her. We all wanted her. And uh, so her new owner calls her Itty Bitty or, or Littles, like little little <laughs> tiny thing calls her Littles. Anyway, so I remember I held her, and, and I wanted that dog. And then I knew of a person who I knew that needed a dog, and it's just changed that person's not life, but it's, it's changed their attitude. You know, it's, it's, it gives you a purpose. It gives you something to love. It gives you somebody who, you know, not somebody, but a, a little thing to, to, to want you. And most definitely. So thank you so much. Just precious. So do, you guys do change lives. So that's really cool. Absolutely. And as much as that bond um, you just described um, helps people who adopt from us, that's kind of the mindset we go into when we are seeing pets out in the community that maybe they're living outside for most of their lives, but mm-hmm. their owners love them just as much. So a lot of people have a hard time understanding how having dogs who live outside most of the year um, can be loved by their owners, but it's the same concept. It's just a matter of resources and education. Very good. Thank you so very much, my darling. We will talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Kathy. All right. We got more on the way. Stay with us. Hang on, there's more on the way with Kathy Quinn and Casey Forum. We are back now. This is uh, podcast number 10. Kathy Quinn here, and we're going to talk to Tracy Hawkins, who is the security and safety lady. And uh, we're going to talk about, you know, lots of cars are being broken into, more people are at home, how can you take care of yourself and not become a victim? So she's the queen of the gadgets. 
Tracy Hawkins, welcome to the podcast. All I keep seeing on next door, you know, we're kind of on the same next door network <laughs> as well. And from people like somebody came through our yard, our neighborhood about a month ago and went was stealing mail out of mailboxes at night. Wow. You know, they're going in and they're locking, they're um, feeling the doors and trying to see if the doors are unlocked and blah, blah, blah. What are you, what are you getting from folks? What are they coming after you to help? And I, I, like you said, I am on next door and I see those um, types of stories too. And um, I pay attention because I want to make sure it doesn't happen to me or in my neighborhood. So what I try to do is to find what tools are out there to keep uh, safe, to keep it from happening. And a lot of people are familiar with ring doorbells. But if you have a, um, a mailbox that's not attached to your house, or if you have uh, a car in the driveway, it's not going to help you because like you said, you can see the stories about people trying the door handles of cars in the driveway, people uh, just rifling through cars. So what, what, what can you do if it's not happening on your front porch? Ring has what's called a, um, what is this, a spotlight camera. So this mounts, I can mount this in front of my garage Mm -hmm. And um, it can cover my front door as well as my car that's parked in the driveway. And what I like about it, it's a spotlight camera. So what happens is the minute it detects motion, the spotlight comes on and it comes on bright. So if someone's there, they know, first of all, oops, I've been seen. And then they typically leave because criminals are cowards and they don't want witnesses. So the spotlight camera physically puts a spotlight on them. And secondly, just like a doorbell, it'll, it will allow you to say, get away from my car or can I help you with something and immediately scares them away. And another thing that I like, Kathy, and you know, I like things that are different. Another thing that I like about this actual device is that it can turn a light on in the house. So if it's attached to, uh, for example, if you have a smart house, so you can attach it to something like a Lutron blind or a cassette light. So the minute someone activates the ring, a light comes on inside of your house and they know without a doubt that they've been seen. Have you seen um, an increase in these crimes because of the pandemic? People, and this is what surprised me, people are home, home more often. So you're thinking that the crimes uh, would be lower because mm -hmm. people are home, but then that also means that certain crimes are, have increased. So during the heat of the pandemic, we were all home inside of our houses because there was nowhere to go. There was an increase in auto thefts because people's cars were parked in a parking lot somewhere in their driveway. And we didn't go out to our cars for how long? For months, because we had nowhere to go. So thieves were able to steal those cars almost right under our noses. So those kinds of crimes have increased. When people are home, then likelihood of a criminal breaking in it's less likely. But now that our society, we're opened back up again, people are anxious. We're going out because we've been cooped in so long. So we're just getting out. Even if it's just to go driving, we're getting out. Criminals know that because they get stir crazy too. So we still need to be careful to protect our homes. So there are so many different cameras out there. There's so many different uh, things out there. Do, do, do cameras like this deter the, the thieves? Do they really? First of all, they have to know the camera is there. So a lot of times I hear people talk about having a camera and it's discreet. I say, no, 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 no to the discreet cameras. Let them know you have it. You can even get a sign that says, hey, we have a camera. You can print it up on your computer or you can buy one, but smile, you're on camera or this area under surveillance does the job of alerting criminals 
this is not going to be easy. We see you. And again, criminals are cowards. So having a camera is great. It has to be a high definition camera. It has to have night vision or else you can't see the quality of the picture. So letting them know you have it is even better. So having it mounted where it can be seen but not touched easily is ideal and having it uh, a sticker saying I have this camera and a lot of people are familiar with with what doorbell cameras look like. So just letting criminals know that you have a camera system in place is just as important as having a camera, even if you don't have a camera. And I know it sounds, it sounds like, oh God, here we go again. They say the same common sense, don't leave valuables in your car, but people are still doing it. I mean, and these guys, these criminals are still going around looking, they, they, they'll take change. They'll take, I don't know what, what are they looking for? looking for whatever the easiest path is. So that's why our goals are to make it, my goal is to make life harder for criminals. So you can invest in something um, like a camera. People are familiar with dashboard cameras, but this dashboard camera has two cameras. What's happening is it's taping what's happening inside of the car. So if you have someone you wanna watch out for like a teen or an elderly driver, but it's also taping what's happening outside of the car. And Kathy, one of the biggest crimes trending right now would be catalytic converter thefts. That's because a catalytic, catalytic converter is easy to steal if you have a truck or SUV that's higher up off the road. Um, they can get under it easily in up to 30 to 90 seconds. They can steal a catalytic converter and it has platinum. So that makes it a more expensive, um, it gives a, a bigger payday. Mm -hmm. But the deal is Kansas City has really strict regulations on being able to turn those in and sell it. But if outerlying areas don't have the same restrictions, they can just go somewhere and sell that, those items. So the goal is to prevent those thefts right up front because they can cost anywhere from 500 up to 500 to a thousand dollars so the goal is to prevent them and if you have to park outside then that's an issue so having a camera that um, actually notes when your car has been moved is ideal because it immediately captures it and um, just to let criminals know this is not going to be easy and this happens to have a blue flashing light so criminals say oops that car is alarmed I'm not going anywhere near it. And another thing is something like this, a car lock. Now I like this because it's a small device and it's easy to just install in your car. But what happens is if there's any motion um, at your car, someone's tugging the handle, if someone's bumping, even a hit and run, bumping against the camera, you get a notification on your phone that someone is tampering with your vehicle. So if they're trying to get under there and they're sawing off the catalytic converter, you're going to know right up front. So it's better to prevent the crime than to have to, um, pay out of pocket to deal with fixing it. So there are gadgets and tools out there. And you know, I like gadgets that help solve the problem. It's so frustrating. You work so hard for your stuff and someone is just split second, boom, they open your car door, they take your laptop that you forgot to take out. You know, it's just so frustrating, but maybe these cameras and things, you think these things will deter them and light. How important is light? Light is the number one safety tool for home security. Criminals, they're cowards and they want to hide. So the dark house provides a hiding place. If your house is the one, like mine, lit up like Fort Knox, you have the floodlights, you have the porch lights, you have them on, the minute criminals walk up to your property, it's like they're on stage. I can look out of my window, my neighbors can look out of their windows to see them and anyone driving down the street, that's what they don't want. They don't want to be seen. So any lighting is ideal and that solves the problem. Perfect. Anything else you want to say about crime right now? Are we seeing any changes? I know, you know, obviously the pandemic, there was, uh, people were just desperate because they don't have work and I don't know. 
one thing is um, just for us to be safe. And a lot of times, um, even just safety in the winter time is a big deal because we like to go out. And I, I'm thinking about car safety right now. We like to go out to a warm car. And there are statistics that show that when we leave our car running, first of all, not only is it against the law, but secondly, that increases the opportunity for it to be stolen. Now, a lot of us have the remote starters. And if you have a remote starter similar to mine, you know that the car will start, but it can't be driven away. Here's the problem. Criminals may not know that. So they see a car running in the driveway and they're thinking, you know, bingo. And then they get in the car and then they find they can't go anywhere, but they've broken the window to get in. They've damaged the door to get in. So you still have an issue, even though they can't take your car. So I say utilize any gadgets and devices to protect you right up front to prevent the crimes from happening. And um, just do whatever it takes to protect your, your possessions inside the car. But that's the easy part of it, Kathy. We know what we're not supposed to do. We know we're not supposed to leave valuables in the car, but um, it's easier to just leave them. So my job is to say, absolutely not. And then if I could add another thing that I really like is, we had to experience it this week, car safety is getting the ice and snow off of your windshield without breaking the windshield. And um, there's something out there that I like. It's a, a fancy ice scraper. And I don't know how else to say that. It's an um, ergonomic ice scraper. And what I like about it is it has teeth that will break up the ice uh, before you start scraping. And then it has a metal blade that allows you to just smoothly scrape the ice off your dashboard, I mean, off the windshield, so you're not hacking away. And that's something we all, if you park outside or you go in and out, you have to deal with. So make sure you're using the proper devices to clear the snow from your car. Okay, there was one more thing you just, okay, how important is like the ring network, the next door network, all those, how have those helped in deterring crime and helping you see what's going on out there so you can help people? It increases witness potential and witness potential is a criminal's enemy. That's what they don't want. They don't want eyes on them. They don't want people to be able to identify them, to stop them. That makes their jobs harder. So if they know how strong your um, network is, then they know that there is the opportunity that they're going to be seen and therefore the crime will not be easy. And then another thing, if I can add one more item, Kathy, is um, being stuck on the side of the road is an absolute nightmare. So if you can have a device where you can jumpstart your car without having to get out of it, that's ideal. So that's why I like a device simple like this. This is a jumpstarter cable. And every car knows the basics to have. You should have a regular set of cables, but this one allows you to plug into this device. It's called the MyCharge, and you can jumpstart your car from the safety oh. of your car without having to get out. I love it. And then this is also a, um, a battery pack or what do you call it? The power bank. So you can wow. charge up to three devices. So you're stuck on the side of the road, the battery's dead. You can charge three devices on here and you can also jumpstart your car. So there are tools out there that uh, people just simply need to know about. They can keep their car safe and keep them safe as well. Thank you very much, Tracy Hawkins, the safety lady. And thanks to all of you for tuning in to podcast number 10. I'm Kathy Quinn. Thank you to Katie Connors, our executive producer, Andrina Byrne, associate producer. And of course, uh, we'd like to thank KQKC, Broadcasting Music and Educational Foundation, the 501c3 that helps us uh, get stuff here on this podcast. And of course, the elders for allowing us to use their bumper music and what I like to do is, because, you know, obviously I love musicians, I'm going to uh, end the podcast today with a song called All the Love. It's written by Kean Byrne. Happens to be my son. He's uh, 
musician with the elders as well, but he's got his own music thing too called Key and Burn Music. And uh, recently named one of the top 20 of uh, the songs in Kansas City, most popular with 90.9 The Bridge. So here we go. It's all the love. I wish all the love to all of you for 2021. Until next time, see ya.
I'm loved.